welcome to the Saturday Slammin' Jam, hosted by Andrew Schlicht with Alex Spears. How about we can just watch basketball? That's a man's jam! I like that idea. Live from Oklahoma. With questions and participants from all around the world. Put that on a poster! Whether you're flipping your flapjacks, tending to your yard, or just sipping your coffee, get ready, sit back, relax. It's the Saturday Slammin' Jam. Back is, I missed this shot, I walk away, I'm still a chump. Here's Andrew. Welcome to the Saturday Slam and Jam. I'm your host, Andrew Schleck. Go to theathletic.com slash NBA show and get the athletic for a discounted rate. Al, the NBA season is winding down a bit. And honestly, the basketball is just getting better and better. Please tell me what happened in the NBA this week. Well, Andrew, it all started on Friday night with an MVP moment from Joel Embiid. The Sixers were at home facing the Trailblazers, and they could not figure them out. Andrew, behind from the jump, the Sixers got down by as many as 21 points and did not pull ahead until the final moments of the game. Down 118 to 119 with one second left, Embiid hit a fadeaway jumper from the free throw line to give the Sixers the win. Embiid scored 39 in the game, and the win continued a hot stretch for the Sixers. After wins later in the week against Washington and Cleveland, the Sixers have now won six in a row and are only a game back of the Celtics for the second seed in the East. And while a three-peat MVP for Jokic seemed like an inevitability only a few weeks ago, by the end of this week, Embiid had passed Jokic at some sportsbooks for best odds to win the MVP. Now on Saturday, the Dallas Mavericks and Memphis Grizzlies met in a battle of two teams missing their stars. No Luka, no Kyrie, no Ja. Who needs stars, though, when you get to watch Big Body Roddy? Rookie David Roddy had a career-high 24 points in the game with 17 coming in the fourth quarter as the Grizz came back from 11 down in the fourth to beat the Mavs 112-108. to The Grizz are 3-3 three three since Jaws' suspension that wasn't really a suspension, but now definitely is a suspension, as we would later learn in the week when the NBA announced an eight-game suspension for Ja Morant after he met with the commissioner earlier in the week. For the Mavs, it's starting to get a little dicey. They are 1-3 in their last four, with seven of their next nine coming on the road. Now, the good news is that Luka and Kyrie are practicing again ahead of a Friday night matchup with the Lakers. The bad news is the Mavs haven't been that good with Luka and Kyrie yet. Now, the good news is maybe they'll start figuring it out, Andrew. The bad news is maybe they won't, Andrew. Who knows? I mentioned earlier uh, that the MVP odds seem to be shifting. Now, part of that is how well Joel Embiid and the Sixers have been playing. Another part of that is that the Nuggets have decided to check out until the playoffs. They're just taking taking a little breather, you know, relaxing a bit. After a brutal loss to San Antonio on Friday that spawned a low-light reel of Jokic's defense, Denver followed that up on Sunday with a loss to Brooklyn at home. They would follow that game up with a loss to the Raptors on Tuesday. In total, they lost four in a row during their mini-skid before winning in Detroit on Thursday. While Jokic's box scores continue to look very impressive, the MVP vultures are circling, Andrew. Speaking of good teams inexplicably losing to very bad teams, the Boston Celtics lost to the Houston Rockets on Monday night. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, Boston must have not played all their guys. No, you're wrong. Everyone played except Robert Williams. 
Uh, okay, well, uh, Houston must have gotten really hot from three, you think to yourself. No, wrong again. Houston shot 31% from three. What about free throws? No, quit asking questions. The Celtics made one less free throw than the Rockets. The Celtics just straight up lost to the Rockets, and yep. the hypothetical person I'm talking to just needs to accept that. For the Rockets, they actually had two wins in a row this week. And rookie Jabari Smith Jr. is starting to show something, averaging 23 and 10 in his last four while shooting 54% from three. On Tuesday, the Lakers played the Pelicans in a pivotal game for the play in picture in the West. Half the teams in the Western Conference are currently embroiled in a never ending struggle to separate themselves from the other teams, but no one has been all that convincing so far. On this night, it was the Lakers getting the win in New Orleans with Anthony Davis leading the way for LA, scoring 35 points. Despite getting Brandon Ingram back, the Pelicans continued their dramatic fall down the West standings, losing eight of their last 11. The pick swap between the Pelicans and Lakers, which once upon a time seemed like it was gonna be this nice, juicy bonus for New Orleans at the end of the season, is now more likely to not matter at all. Now, the good news for New Orleans is that their next four games are Houston, Houston, San Antonio, and Charlotte. Win those, and you're back above 500 again, which could mean that you're the seventh seed or something yeah. in the West. This conference is a mess. On Wednesday, our Golden State Warriors faced off against the Clippers in LA. Despite a 50-point game from Steph Curry, Golden State could not overcome the curse of the Road Warriors, losing 134 to 126. If you're bored on this Saturday morning, go take a look at what the Warriors have been doing over the past month or so. In their last 17 games, they are 0-9 on the road, 8-0 at home. Just a hilarious bit that I would love to continue until the end of the season. The good news for Warriors fans, they have four winnable road games in a row coming up at Atlanta, Memphis, Houston, Dallas. They got to win one of those, right? No such thing as a winnable road game for the Warriors. No such thing. Uh, and as for the Clippers, uh, we're going to talk about them in uh, just a few minutes. Finally, on Thursday night, the Sacramento Kings defeated the Nets in Brooklyn on the second night of a back-to-back. Damanis Sabonis had 24-21 and with five assists in the win, the seventh 2020 game of his career. The Kings are in an absolute groove right now, winning 10 of their last 12. They are up to 42 wins on the season, guaranteeing them a winning record for the first time since 2006. They're also a half game up on Memphis for the second seed. With 13 games left, the Kings only need to go 8-5 and five to finish with 50 wins, which would be an incredible feat. Light the beam, Andrew, and what a week it was. <laughs> what a week it was. I cannot, I cannot wait to continue to watch this Kings team. Oh, I cannot wait to see them in the playoffs. They're actually going to be in the playoffs, Al. That is just, that's wild to me. So today... Our own Sam Vecini dropped his rookie rankings on mm. The Athletic. Who doesn't love a good rookie ranking? It's fun for all the bad teams out there to see how how much somebody else likes their players. <laughs> uh, it included a long write-up about Jalen Williams uh, and how he might be on the heels of Paolo Bancaro for Rookie of the Year. Vecini writes, Williams looks like a future star. And the 14 games that he has played since February 7th have been the most impressive run any rookie has had all season. He is averaging 20 points, 5 rebounds, and 4.6 assists, and 2.3 steals while shooting 56% from the field, 47% from three, and 86% from the line. Now, go read Sam's article. It's very good. It's very fun. It also features the other Jalen Williams, too, if you want to read about him. But I, I wanted to deep dive into Jalen Williams, J-Dub, to see if he actually has a shot at Rookie of the Year. Now, 
by counting stats, most rookie of the year voters are not going to give this to Jalen Williams. You look at just Paolo versus J Dub so far this season. 20 points for like you just look at Paolo's line. 20 points, six boards, 3.6 assists. That just sounds so good. It's very like good. how do you, how it's do you beat good. that? Jalen Williams is 13, 3 and 4. Okay. 1.4 steals. That's cool. Mm-hmm. But even BetMGM says that Paolo is the like, he's the runaway favorite for this. He is a minus 10,000 to J-Dubs plus 5,000, okay, which okay. there's a gulf. This is <laughs> this is basically the Atlantic Ocean as far as like betting odds go. But let's look at the factor that might lead to Jalen Williams getting some late rookie of the year buzz, his efficiency. Uh, part of his efficiency is dunks. J-Dub throws down some pretty cathartic dunks. He currently has 69 dunks this season. Nice. He is the only player in the top 50 of total dunks that is listed as a guard. The only one. The dude dunks everything he can. He has more dunks than notable dunker John Collins, which is something that I would have never predicted before the season. Uh, what about his shooting efficiency overall? Jadup is the only guard or forward in this rookie class that has taken at least 10 shots per game and averaged at least 50% from the field, along with four rebounds and three assists. In fact, this has only been done by six players total, including J-Dub, in the history of the NBA. The players are Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Walter Davis, Ben Simmons, Terry Dishinger, and J-Dub. So the only modern comp is Ben Simmons for this efficiency. We all know Ben Simmons just doesn't take any shots that are outside the paint. His rookie season, he only took 11 threes. He made zero of them. He took 80% of his shots within 10 feet. Uh, Jada has already taken 175 threes. He's making 35% of them. Um, and he continues to improve his efficiency every year. Uh, the other players being Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, and six-time All-Star Walter Davis is pretty crazy uh, for this list uh, for efficiency. His overall efficiency around the basket is pretty wild, Al. We touched on his dunks, but his just general ability to finish in the restricted area is crazy. He has his cross-lane floaters. He got his has his long-arm layups. He uses his power to get to the basket and then can find creases, uh, even with double teams on him. He's shooting 70% in the restricted area this season. The yeah, only I- other rookies shooting 70% with at least 150 attempts in the restricted area of the season, Walker Kessler, Kessler and Jalen Duran. That's it. Yeah, and I think that is like the that is the thing that jumps off the screen for me. Yeah. Like game after game after game. The because you mentioned he gets a lot of easy attempts like with with his dunks or or in transition, but he has so many contested attempts at the rim that you just don't understand how he managed to get it in the basket and there's two or three of those every single night. Yeah, I'm lucky enough to get to watch a lot of his games up close. And there are many moments where I just turn to whoever's sitting by me and just say, I don't, I don't understand how he finished that. I don't understand how he got there. I don't understand how he finished it. Uh, I asked Mark Degnault, coach of the Thunder, about Jalen Williams and just like avoiding the rookie wall and what that's kind of looked like to him. He's, he said that he's hitting more of a stride than a wall, that he's been impressive. He has a consistent approach. And he's a consistent competitor. 
And the only thing that's kind of keeping him back is that he's learning how to be more aggressive. And I talked to Mark about this. I was really trying to get him to talk about Jalen Williams, just overall efficiency, but he was talking about how he has to really encourage J-Dub to be aggressive and that there's kind of two players on on for the Thunder, specifically on two ends of this scale. Like one is J-Dub and then you have Lou Dort. And Lou Dort's not afraid to take any shot, not afraid to take any kind of layup. His efficiency is not great, but he is aggressive and will consistently take a lot of shots. And J-Dub, they kind of have to force that out of him. And he's been doing that more lately. And that's where you have those stats that Vassini listed above the 25 and 5 with 2.3 steals on just crazy efficiency. That's the thing to me that stands out the most is that while his while he gets more shots and has more chance to handle the ball, his efficiency stays the same and has even gotten better. And so that to me is kind of his case is that he hasn't had that many possessions, certainly not as many as Paolo Bancaro. But when you do give him those possessions, boy, like he's he stays consistent. He's taking the same kinds of shots, shots that he knows he can make and is continuing to shine. Now, it's probably too late for him to actually get into this as I listed the odds above. And I know voters are not going to be looking at this rookie of the year race this in depth. I think that you can easily look at the counting stats and say this is him. And these, these stats are probably just too dorky, and you're probably right. But I do believe that these stats are just a sign of things to come for J-Dub and his career. Yeah, and I think the uh, the aggressiveness component, that that's if there's been a frustrating aspect of his season, it is that. Because even in this run, you'll have a game like they had this week against Toronto where you know sure. he takes the same amount of shots as Josh Giddy, the same amount of shots as Lou Dort. They all had 11 shots. Anyone who's watched this Thunder team will tell you he is clearly the second best player on this team at this point. Clearly. Yep. And you, so night to night, you want him to be in that role as the second best player. And you had a stretch there where where that was the case, but then you'll have games like that Toronto game where he, he, he just kind of disappears for moments of the game and you want him to be asserting himself. And part of that is him asserting himself. Part of that is other players on the team taking a step back, which we have obviously talked about uh, in, yep. in regards to Lou Dort. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how he develops kind of that aggressiveness because then next season you're throwing Chet into the mix who yep. very well could end up being the second best player or you know who knows what his ceiling is. Maybe he's the first best player on the Thunder. Um, I think if J-Dub is your third best player, you're probably feeling very, very good. But he has yeah. shown the ability to be like a second best player type of ceiling. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he is the Thunder's second star currently. Yeah. And it's pretty. it's been pretty interesting to see him continue to grow throughout this season. Um, so I mentioned earlier that I, I wanted to talk about the Clippers a little bit, and uh, that's what we're going to do, Andrew, because the West okay. is a, a mess. I mentioned yep. Denver. They've lost four or five. Uh, John Morant, Steven Adams, still out for Phoenix. KD still out for, or sorry, out for Memphis. KD still out for Phoenix. Uh, the Warriors have a number of issues, which we will discuss later. The team that is playing the best is the Sacramento Kings, who continue to win big despite having the 25th ranked defense. This season has forced us to uh, kind of open our minds to the possibility of any team winning the West if they can make it to the playoffs. <laughs> and so this week, my focus turned to the uh, Clippers, who have won four in a row. And I just wanted to talk about, you know, what's been different with this team post-trades and whether my opinion of them as it pertains to the playoffs should change at all. So, you know, obviously a team like Phoenix, they made a significant change to their roster at the deadline. 
But it's hard to argue that any team made more rotation changes with new players than the Clippers. All of Eric Gordon, Mason Plumlee, and Russell Westbrook are averaging over 20 minutes per game, playing a combined 75 minutes per game for the Clippers. That's over 30% of the Clippers' rotation minutes that have been filled by brand new players. And for a team with championship aspirations, that's that's a pretty significant rotational change more than halfway into the season. So uh, how's it going, Andrew? Well, it didn't start off great. Uh, once yep. they got their new players on the court after the All-Star break, uh, they dropped five consecutive games, which included that 176 to 175 double overtime loss to the Kings, an overtime loss in Denver, loss to Minnesota at home, and then two road losses to Golden State and Sacramento. Now, that's a very difficult schedule mm-hmm. on the one hand, but those are also the teams that they would need to beat in the playoffs. And as a reminder, the Clippers this season are 13-24 and 24 against teams who are 500 or better, which is fewer wins than teams like the Bulls, Toronto, or OKC. But mm. things have been looking better as of late. They've won four in a row, as I mentioned. Those have all been at home over Memphis, Toronto, New York, and Golden State. The schedule's lightened up a bit. And in fact, they're in the middle of a run where nine of 10 games are at home. And looking at their upcoming schedule, it's very possible that the Clippers are going to challenge Phoenix for the four seed. They're currently only one game back. So what are some takeaways so far? Well, let's start off at the big picture. Prior to the trades, cleaning the glass had the Clippers as the 24th ranked offense, 11th ranked defense. In the 11 games since the trades, the Clippers offense is sixth overall, but the defense has fallen to 25th. They've basically Mm. flip-flopped. And interestingly, if you look at where they're getting their shots on the floor, nothing has really changed. Their shot diet has remained mostly the same post-trades within like a percentage point or two of all the different uh, zones of the court. Similarly, the types of shots they're giving up defensively have also remained basically the same. You know, we're dealing with a very small sample. It's 11 games, so it's not much to go on. But if you're looking for the reason why those offensive and defensive efficiencies have flip-flopped post-trades, Take a look at the rim numbers on both sides of the ball. On offense, pre-trade, the Clippers were shooting 63.7% at the rim as a team, which was third worst in the NBA. Since the trades, they're shooting 71.7%, which is third best. So they've gone from third worst to third best in terms of converting attempts at the rim. On defense, it's been the flip side. The Clippers were allowing teams to shoot 66% at the rim pre-trades, which was 12th best in the NBA. Post-trades, they're allowing teams to shoot 72% at the rim, which is third worst. Now, again, they played the Kings for two of these games, so that is obviously factoring into this. Yeah. And who knows yeah. if these trends will continue. Are the Clippers suddenly much better at converting their rim attempts and also much worse at defending the rim? It's possible, but it's only been 11 games. But I thought it was interesting. It's something to watch going forward on yeah. both ends. Uh, another thing I'm watching, obviously, is the addition of Russell Westbrook, who is averaging just under 30 minutes per game for the Clippers. Now, uh, if you're in a pro-Russ mood, you can point to him being a plus 11.3 in his minutes so far per cleaning the glass. While his outside shooting has not improved, he is finishing better at the rim, up from 58% with the Lakers to 63% with the Clippers. I think it's also been a positive to see how and when Ty Lue has been using him recently. Because when thinking about the playoffs, the thing people would get worried about, you know, when, when Russ goes to any new team, they get worried about how he could hurt you at the end of a game. Well, in the last three games, Ty Lue just hasn't played him in the closing lineups. In the Toronto game, Eric Gordon came in with five minutes left in the third, and Russ didn't return. In the Knicks game, same thing. Gordon in at four minutes left in the third, Russ doesn't return. Then in the Warriors game, he was subbed out with seven minutes left in the fourth. 
I think that has to be seen as a positive. At least totally. in this recent run, it seems like the Clippers are slowly finding a role for Westbrook where he can be successful on the court and they can kind of limit the the downsides of his game. And it's worth noting that in his most recent game against the Warriors, his first game was zero turnovers. <laughs> Very nice game for Russ, Russ there. Uh, but it's also been kind of interesting to me where this early on-off boost is coming from with Westbrook. These are super small samples, but it's not because he's getting all this time on the court with PG and Kawhi. That three-man unit actually has been had a negative net rating per pbpstats.com. The lineup that's fueling this impressive early on-off number has actually been because of some really good minutes with Paul George, where Kawhi is off the floor. And you see that watching some of these Clippers games. Like the connection those two guys have, which they obviously had in Oklahoma City, yeah, it comes through it, yeah. when they're on the court together. And looking at how the presence of Russ might affect someone like Paul George, a friend of the show, Law Murray, had an interesting tweet about PG's assist-to-turnover ratio by month. Because PG hadn't cracked an assist-to-turnover ratio of two until March in these games with Russ. All of a sudden, and again, this is very early, but Paul George is suddenly averaging a lot more assist-to-turnovers than he was previously. And Law brought up the fact that this could be a possible effect of Paul George not always having to be the lead playmaker for the Clippers. All still super early, but something to keep an eye on. So clearly, there's still a lot to figure out with the Clippers, but whereas I was dismissing them a few weeks ago, I'm I'm mildly intrigued now, Andrew. Just mildly. You know, it's been an easy schedule, okay? It's been an easy schedule. It's going to be easy schedule coming up. But I'm kind of getting into the idea of a Suns-Clippers first-round series. Now, I would favor the Suns, yeah. assuming Katie totally. is healthy. But yeah. I also don't know if there's a team better equipped in the West to have a chance against Katie and Booker than PG and Kawhi. And speaking of Kawhi, I want to end here because this may be more important than any number, any lineup. It's the fact that Kawhi Leonard has been playing at an MVP level for 25 games now. In his last 25 games, he is averaging 29-7-4 with two steals on 53-50-92 shooting splits. Woo! 53-50-92 shooting. In that stretch... He's played 25 of a possible 29 games. So it's not like he's getting like a yeah. ton of, of, of uh, load management games in there. And ultimately, that's what really matters. Because if Kawhi is going to play like this, the Clippers are going to have a shot, regardless of yeah. who they face in the playoffs. So all this is combining, Andrew. I don't know. I don't know if I would say I'm like considering them like a definite contender in that top tier. Yeah. But I'm I'm getting there, Andrew. And they could help themselves out the rest of this season. Like if they could get to the four spot and have home court advantage in a series against the Suns, I think that'd be a really fun series. And plus you have like the KD Russ angle. Like that that would oh. really be a fun series to watch. Story storylines galore. Galore. It would, be, it would be it would be an amazing series. And I mean it's it's funny to think about the Clippers being the healthier team going into it. I know. I mean the Suns, yeah. while Kevin is a probably the easiest player to just throw onto a team and let him do his thing. As he showed in his very first game with the Suns, yeah. Yeah, but they still haven't played. Like, how many meaningful games have they played together? I mean, that that matters. I think that matters. And I think if you're the Clippers, you have to be feeling pretty good. Also, you look around the West. Like, do we really trust Denver to get there? I kind of need to see it to believe it. Memphis is a mess. Sacramento is like the, the stable franchise right now. Right. I mean... 
I don't know, man. The, the Clippers are going to have a shot. I mean, if you're if you're in the Western Conference and you have an elite player, you're going to have a chance you in this chance. playoffs. I mean, I, I have no clue how to predict what's going to happen in the West uh, come playoff time, which is really, really interesting. And uh, one of those teams that we're going to talk about is the Golden State Warriors. We're going to talk about them with our guy Anthony Slater right after this quick break. All right, Andrew, it is time once again for the Wheel of Fandom, our weekly segment where we spin a digital wheel. It lands on a team and we become fans of that team for the next week. And last week, the Wheel of Fandom landed on the Golden State Warriors. Now, the Warriors had a pretty good week overall on the court, going 2-1 and one with home wins over Milwaukee and Phoenix and a road loss to the Clippers. Some of the highlights included 22 points from Steph in the fourth quarter in overtime against the Bucks, a 33-point first half for Klay Thompson against the Suns, and a 50-point game for Steph against the Clippers. Now, the lowlights included Draymond picking up his 16th technical, which triggered a one-game suspension, Andre Iguodala needing surgery for a fractured wrist, and Steph Curry being questionable for Friday's game with thumb soreness. The Warriors are 36-34, and 6th in the West, clinging to a one-game lead over the first play-in spot. Per cleaning the glass, the Warriors have the 10th-ranked offense and 13th-ranked defense. Andrew, if the Warriors are our favorite team, who is our guest? Well, it's our guy Anthony Slater from The Athletic, from the Tampering Podcast on this very podcast that you're listening to right now. Great Slater, plug. what's up, man? Great plug. <laughs> what's up, man? Oh, good. How are you guys doing? I like how you mentioned, you know, two two home wins and one road win that, or one road loss this week. It's uh, I believe they're now up to nine straight road losses and eight straight home wins. That is correct. Yeah, yeah well, I was just about <laughs> to bring that up. We we saw them lose their ninth straight road game this week to the Clippers. Uh, the Warriors home road splits have been pretty funny this season. Uh, per cleaning the glass, the Warriors are 13th ranked offense at home and 15th on the road, which is not that different. The defense, however, is a completely different story. At home, the Warriors have the third-ranked defense while on the road. Their defense drops to 28th in the NBA. Uh, This has been a season-long trend for the Warriors. Are there any good explanations as to why the defense, like from home to road, is so different? Yeah, I mean, like the analytics people will tell you, like there's definitely some luck involved right at home they have like a really lucky three-point uh defense where you know open shots or you know semi-open whatever you want to call it like teams tend to miss much more than the average we're on the road you know they're shooting like you know half their team is Steph Curry essentially uh whoever they play on the road uh so that that's some of it and then I think you can go back to the beginning of the season you just look at some of the games they just kind of like barfed away um you know they had a four-point lead in Charlotte in the last minute and gave it up I remember early in the season and I remember Draymond postgame pointing to a stat he's like I don't I'm not sure we've done that more than like three times during this dynasty run and he was right they like I think it was only like the third or fourth time they'd ever given up a four-point lead in the last minute and then a couple weeks later you guys might remember this they had a four-point lead in the last seven seconds in uh utah gave up a three because clay thompson (laughs) just like had one of those like clay thompson like you know robot malfunction he was just like standing in the paint as malik beasley went and shot a three jordan pool fumbled the inbound away utah layup they gave a 5-0 run in like six seconds to lose there's been a lot of those games late um they should you know not good what are they seven and 28 or something like that now on the road they should probably be like 
13 and whatever that should be. I mean, there's at least six games in there that they just completely, you know, gifted. Um, so there's some of that. There's some of the the three-point defense luck. And there's just some of the, uh, I mean, you championship hangover, disinterest, added youth. Like, I think a lot of things are added to the mix of why they've been so terrible on the road. It's almost been more surprising that they keep kind of holding the fort at home. You know, a lot of it without yeah. Steph Curry. They have two five-game home winning streaks without Steph or Wiggins. It's like, you know, they're two best players from the playoffs. That is almost surprising. They, they keep kind of like, you know, uh, getting the fan base back into it. Like, they, maybe they can, you know, rediscover themselves with this home. And then they go on the road and just give it all back. But <laughs> You mentioned Steph. He's he's having one of his best seasons ever. He's averaging 36 and 6 on 67.3% true shooting, which would be the second highest true shooting number of all time behind himself in 2018. Career high in rebounds, shooting 44% from three. A not uncommon sentiment from some Warriors fans on Twitter is that the front office has failed Steph and potentially cost a shot at another championship this season because of their obsession with the two timelines. They started this season with five of their roster spots filled with guys who had less than two years of experience. It's hard to fault a front office who just put together a championship team last season, but do you think there's any truth to this idea? Like how big of a mistake was their approach to last summer? Yeah. I mean, I think anything with like the Warriors roster construction is it's much deeper than like last summer. It goes back to um, 2019, you know, KD tears the Achilles, Clay Thompson tears the ACL. It feels like that's it. Right. I mean, I'm sure you guys felt that at the time, like, you know, wow, what a run, like, wow, what a tragic Shakespearean kind of end to the run with these like two, just like really legendary infamous injuries. Um, They go 15 and 50 the next season. Steph breaks the hand. It's just like vacation season. And it just feels like they're in retool mode, rebuild mode. They're still at that time. They're kind of thinking about the future. They get the second overall pick. Nobody's saying, Hey, they're going to be title contenders next year. So everyone, I mean, I think rightfully it was like, use the second overall pick, you know, go try to potentially find uh, the next franchise guy. The day of the draft, you guys probably remember this, Clay Thompson tears his Achilles that morning, Mm -hmm. uh, only adding to the like, well, you know, next season's kind of a wash again. They Mm -hmm. use the second overall pick on James Wiseman, obviously did not work. Um, But I think if you just take your brains back there, you understand the sentiment of going, you know, they probably should have got drafted LaMelo, Anthony Edwards, possibly could have fallen to uh fell to them didn't but you know so then the wiseman pick informs what comes later um they make the play in the next season and lose in the play-in you don't know what clay thompson's gonna be they have the 14th overall pick because they were the, the last lottery team also they had made the wiggins uh minnesota trade by that point have the seventh yep. overall pick and at that time to be honest the front office and the ownership group didn't believe that they were going to win the title the next season they ended up winning the title but that was Mm. like you guys can remember going in the season hollinger picks them 11th in the west i remember optimistically being like fifth or sixth you know coming off the play in clay will be back sometime in january jordan Poole had not blossomed andrew wiggins wasn't what he became in the playoffs you you thought the age curve would maybe hit draymond and steph more than it did and it was like yeah use the seventh pick use the 14th pick uh they got kaminga they got moody uh, and then Steph just proved that it was like this course time was still now. Um, they won the title anyways, even though they really in the playoffs got nothing from Wiseman, um, a little from Kaminga, a little from Moody. Uh, 
And then this summer was maybe the time to pivot off the plan. But to me, they were so deep into the plan. And obviously, Joe Lacob's at the, you know, he's kind of the poster child of it because it is his next era. And it's tough to talk him off something like that. Um, and where I think the mistakes of this summer is, they lean more into it. They they went and got Ryan Rollins. They drafted mm-hmm. uh, Patrick Baldwin Jr. To yep. me, they um, they didn't ca- calculate in what the Damian Lees of the world, what the Juan Toscano Andersons of the world did for last year's team, which was like veterans who could not, DNP for five games if the entire roster was healthy. But if you throw them in a regular season game, they're giving you steady minutes. They've just missed that this season. They've obviously like going from Otto Porter Jr. to Jamichael Green has hurt them. Uh, no, not having Gary Payton the entire season. Obviously, they got him back, but little marginal things have made I think the roster build look a little bit worse than it is. But I think we should all just like have a grander picture of how this plan came to be to understand how it got here. Yeah, that's a great yeah. perspective because looking back, it's easy to say now like well, the pieces were always there. Like this was always a championship team and you know hiding in there. Um, but clearly, like you said, because I, I I do actually remember that Hollinger. <laughs> Uh, season preview where he had them 11th and it's just crazy that that was not like that uncommon of an opinion of the Warriors at that time maybe that was like at the extreme but it wasn't no one was necessarily picking them as a championship team the the two extremes were like 11th or like fifth fifth felt like an extreme like if they were gonna be fourth or fifth in the west Um, yeah yeah so yeah the the coaching staff and Bob Myers in his post championship press conference admitted last March you know March of that regular season they won the title they didn't think like, you know, they didn't believe they they were gonna like even be a contender at that point. So hmm. that championship shocked a ton of people. Yeah. So for this year, let's assume the Warriors make the playoffs. Their first round matchup will likely be one of Denver, Sacramento, Memphis, or Phoenix. How would you rank those potential matchups for the Warriors from least favorable to or from most favorable to least favorable? So you're saying Denver, Memphis. A Phoenix, Sacramento. I think Sac or Phoenix is the one you want the least. I mean, yeah. you have the Durant factor looming out there. Um, I think Phoenix, you know, full strength. Personally, I, I think they're the favorite. Uh, I so I think they're number one. Denver would mean you'd have to go through the play in. You know, like I actually don't hate the Denver matchup for them. I think they would yeah. love to like bring Jokic into you know seventy high screens and and just. <laughs> spook Denver I think they would spook Denver coming out of the the eight spot but that would mean you would literally have to play the eight nine play-in game with your season on the line to get Denver they do not want that um so I think you know the popular opinion would be Sacramento just because the lack of experience I mean can you imagine the number of playoff games played stat going into that series between like (laughs) Warriors and and Kings which would be even funnier because like all of the Kings is Harrison Barnes. Who's like, you know, right. yeah, was yeah. with the Warriors. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that part in like the California part of it, I think, you know, everyone is rightfully hyping up what golden one center and, and that environment will be. Yeah. You, there's going to be some Warriors fans using some of that tech money to invade that arena. Like that from a, an environment standpoint is who the Kings shouldn't want because I just, there'd just be too many Warriors fans there to be honest. Um, so yeah. it's probably, probably that one would be in pe- appealing, but you know, the Kings score like crazy and the Warriors don't defend on the road. And like, that's the, yeah. maybe the toughest road environment and the best offense right now in the league. I, I mean, I don't know. I'd ask you guys like how much 
do you believe what the Kings are doing will translate? They do in some ways seem like one of those teams that maximize the regular season. We're super healthy. We're super engaged and focused and everything. And then once you get to the playoffs and everybody's brain level raises, you it's a little like the Thibodeau teams of the past, right? There's kind of a ceiling to them. So I'd probably say Sacramento. But in some ways, you know, depending on what jaw looks like and how that Memphis situation, you know, kind of yeah. forms. Feels way more volatile to me than I mean Sacramento's had they've had the best record since the all-star break. There's a lot of good momentum there. I like the the home court advantage thing I would definitely worry about if I were the Warriors. Uh and Memphis, I don't know, like is Steven Adams gonna be able to play in this series? Like they don't no have Brandon, Brandon Clark, Clark as a backstop. I mean like there's there's a lot of reasons to think maybe it is Memphis with just all the turmoil. This just doesn't feel like it's gonna be Memphis's year. And also just the rivalry between those two teams as well. I just think there could be the mental component that the Warriors have, like the edge they have over Memphis, I think could get them there as well. So I, I think I might have Memphis there just because of all the circumstances surrounding them. And also I just, I mostly just really want to believe in Sacramento <laughs> and like, that's probably yeah. just a me <laughs> thing. Like I just want to believe that they can actually do something this year. Uh, and that the regular season matters for them because like conventional wisdom says, yeah, Sacramento should be like the easiest opponent. Um, but I, I think that would flip flop them in Memphis if it were me. So I wanted to ask you about covering this team because you've covered the Warriors for several years. You've experienced the full range of possible seasons from this team. You have experienced championship seasons with and without K- KD. You experienced Katie's final year with the Warriors, the tank year, the play and loss season. Every year has been dramatic in some way, and this season has been no different, starting all the way back in preseason with the Draymond punch. I'm interested in what your experience of covering this season for the Warriors has been like in that larger context of the Warriors dynasty. Like, has covering this team been as strange as it seems from the outside? Does this season stand out among all those seasons that you've covered them? It just stands out because it's current, but yeah. it's not like crazy. It's not the craziest of the seven or eight. That would probably be Durant's last season. Um, you know, even the 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 least dramatic season when they went fifteen to fifty and most of the regular season games stunk. Oh, suddenly they COVID hit and it was like the pandemic season. And then yeah, that's true. The yeah. next two months were like, you know, are are they even going to be in the bubble? They didn't even go to the bubble. That's right. Uh, the one thing of the last, you know, decade basically that they probably missed out on. Um, it has to me, like, obviously like you feel like there's stakes involved because you know, they, they're, they're trying to kind of glue these two errors together and um, you know, win another title you know, for the dynasty. And obviously there's been fireworks, you know, internally this season. And there are all these question marks about the future. Bob Myers, Draymond Green go down the list. But at the same time, because they won the title, like literally less than a calendar year ago, um, I don't feel the pressure of what has come in the last few years. To me, like that was the cherry on top of the dynasty, right? I mean, like that was, that was one of the most, um, I guess for a franchise was probably one of the more rewarding titles in NBA history. It kind of cemented so many people's legacy where if mm-hmm. it does splinter the way it in a lot of ways feels like it's splintering this year, um, it missions already been accomplished in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, I guess that's what I'm kind of asking. Cause like, yeah. that idea that it kind of feels like this splintering may be coming 
but it sounds like that hasn't led to like bad vibes behind the scene necessarily because of that championship. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I mean, when you get a lot of these big, uh, figures in this whole run and they're like more, I don't know, like private, private reflective moments, it's like things end, you know what I mean? Like it's, it was, it's, they've held on longer than most of them ever would have predicted. I mean, like I said, you know, 2019 was the finish line. It felt like, yeah, right. um, and you know, and a lot of people then will point to Steph Curry and be like, he has held on. So that's why we have, um, he turned 35 this week. You mentioned the season he's having earlier. It's insane. And you know, that, that a lot of, in a lot of ways, what he has, um, you know, what he's still able to do has kept them extremely relevant in the national conversation, but it's also like kept more pressure on them. I mean, you, you mentioned yeah. some of the front office and ownership, like what are you ty- doing type things? A lot of that's because Steph Curry has lasted longer than they would have ever predicted. Um, so that has, you know, created, you know, this extended window of, of, of drama and pressure that you're talking about that does make this team very fun to cover on a daily basis. And uh, everything does feel important. But I do think I always like if you take a couple steps back, it's like, you know, when we rewrite, you know, everything that went down and we talk about the the Steve Kerrs, the Bob Myers, the Joe Lacobs, the uh, Stephs, the Draymonds, the Clay Thompson, who who has gone through his own, you know, roller coaster the last few seasons. Sure. In the moment, there might be like critiques of how how Lacob is spent on the back end of the roster, how Myers has built it, how Kerr, you know, handles, you know, daily rotations and different stuff like that. But they're all like Hall of Famers in their own roles. And they've all like succeeded in this era. I mean, this is one of the golden eras of the league. So to me, that has always like, at least this season, taken away from like the grander, like what's going on. It's more interesting to follow the big picture of like, where might it be going? And as we watch, you know, last dance style, we all remember that from watching during the doc. Like, what are the details of how this maybe did end up splintering? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that kind of leads us into our last question. That looking ahead this summer, the Warriors have some big decisions to make. Draymond Green will likely be exercising his player option to become a free agent. Clay Thompson will be entering in his final year of his contract that could be extended. Uh, and Jordan Poole get his uh, his contract kicks in, which will be kind of a big deal for this team. Uh, is it safe to assume that these next few months are our final chance to watch Steph, Clay, and Draymond together? Or do you think that there is a possibility that all three will be back next year? I think the way Draymond has played this season has made it more likely that he'll return. Um, you mentioned the Poole contract kicking in. That really is an important factor that I don't think people um, fully comprehend. He was not supposed to make 30 million, 27 million. Yeah. As they built this roster, that, you know, puzzle piece uh was never supposed to be planted in. And yeah, you say, okay, 27 million. Well, it's really like a hundred something. I mean, just mm-hmm. taxes. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. and that is the extra, you know, Joe Lacob kind of has this unofficial threshold that's felt like four hundred million for the, you know, combined salary plus tax. And they've lived in like the 360 range the last couple of seasons. Well, at suddenly moving pool from 3 million to 27 or whatever exactly it is, takes it, you know, past 500 million. They did save, you know, I think it's something like 27, 30 million by, you know, flipping Wiseman's contract into Peyton's, but they still have Peyton's on the books next season. So it's still a, a pretty hefty tax bill. Um, Draymond has his own choice to make with the player option. Mm-hmm. Um, they could, you know, move one of their their bigger picture, bigger piece salaries. You know, you you felt coming into the season, Pool was much safer than Draymond. Obviously, 
it, it was kind of under the surface of, of the situation that happened in preseason. Well, Draymond has has shown to to remain a more important piece than, than Jordan Poole, and, and you just don't know when when that'll shift. Also, you know, they just signed Andrew Wiggins' as big extension. I don't know what's necessarily happening there right now. I mean, obviously he's away yeah. from the team. Does that put into question his future at all? I mean, he's tradable, not until he, I guess, the year anniversary of his uh, extension. So that's a little bit more of a question mark. Um, I can tell you, Steph Curry will be here. Clay Thompson has yeah. a massive contract that I don't think is necessarily easily just to, to salary dumps, like 40-something million. I think he'll be here at least another season. And to be honest, like Clay's been maybe their second best player this year. Yeah. Um, so to, the bigger questions to me are Bob Myers, Draymond Green. And then as like subsidiaries of that, like, you know, Poole's future, Wiggins' future maybe comes into a little bit more question. If Draymond, you know, resigns here and, you know, you could opt out and, and, and resign maybe something reasonable with him. Um, but I think part of that is like, is Bob Myers the one still pulling the levers? Yeah. You can ask Bob Myers and he will tell you right now. I don't know if I'll be here. Um, what, what's your I feel think, for that? I think, you know, I would, uh, when we, when we wrote the bigger story on it, like honestly, a lot of people behind the scenes that would know, were like, I think he's gone. Um, yeah. it's still, but it's, a, it's, I think we'll see. And like Bob is a very, I don't know, you know, we'll see, let's get through this. Let's enjoy this last run. That mm-hmm. It was something that Bob was at the forefront of trying to message to Durant back in the day, which was like, look, you're probably leaving or maybe you're not whatever. Like, this does not need to be a daily discussion or daily, like, com- you know, uh, subject around us. Just enjoy the last ride if it is the last ride. And yeah. Bob, I think, has personally tried to live that. Like, I don't know. We'll talk about it later. Let's finish this season. Um, and I just think it matters how it ends. You know, if they do flame out in the play in or the first round and suddenly they're, they're down, you know, they're they're getting four one by Memphis and you get. Andrew Bynum flashbacks to like clotheslining JJ Barea and Draymond's getting ejected <laughs> in this final game. Like, yeah. it'll feel like the end then. But yeah. if they, you know, kind of reach into their championship tank and at least get to West Finals, push a Suns team, you know, surprise again, go to the NBA Finals, then you might get enough people around Bob, Draymond, all of them be like, look, let's just keep riding this thing out. So I just, the next couple months, I think really matter in that, uh, you know, conversation. Yeah. What do you think is more likely that they lose in round one or like make another Western Conference finals at least? I've I've been a skeptic um, really all season. I just I I think the hunger level, the motivation level, the just gas tank is much lower this season, understandably, because like I said earlier, I think last year was like the um, pinnacle. I think it was the peak. I think they showed. I just don't. I, I don't think they have it. I think they're thinner. I think the Wiggins situation seems very unsolved. Like, what are the percentage chances suddenly a month from now, Andrew Wiggins is not only physically with the Warriors, but also like looking like the Andrew Wiggins that is really in a lot of ways the reason that they, you know, turned into what they turned into last May because he mm-hmm. turned into one of the best two way wings in the league for a couple months. Um, I just don't necessarily see that. Peyton's health is a question mark. They need to get deeper, and I just don't see the answers there. So. I think they're a first, second round team. Um, but oh, you know, if you would ask me that last March, I would have said the same thing. They were they were bad last March. They had like a you know eight and thirteen stretch, and I would have said, ah, eh, first, second round team. And then they won the title. So I'm not ruling it out because of who they are. 
But if you ask me to predict, I would say first or second round. Well, Anthony, thank you for answering our questions about the Warriors. It is now time to play Andrew versus the Beat, our weekly trivia show, where Andrew goes head-to-head with an NBA beat writer this week, Anthony Slater, Warriors beat writer at The Athletic. Now, Anthony, I've come up with eight questions about the Warriors. Some are easy, some are hard. You're going to give me a number between one and eight. It'll correspond to a question. If you get it right, you'll get at least two points. If you get it wrong, Andrew will have a chance to steal, and we'll go back and forth until all the questions have been asked and answered. So to start us off, I just need a number between one and eight. Seven. Question number seven. Draymond Green is well known for his defensive prowess. He has had six seasons where he averaged at least one steal and one block per game. What is Draymond's career high in combined blocks and steals for a single game? Now, before you answer that, you get to choose who answers first, so you can make Andrew answer first, and then you can go higher or lower. However, if he gets it exactly right, he will get a bonus point. So this is combined blocks and steals for a single game for Draymond. I think with a question like this, it would very much benefit me to have Andrew go first. Okay, Andrew, you get to answer first. (laughs) Okay. Oh boy, seventeen. Seventeen. That is, is... Ins- I. That is an insane for combined. <laughs> uh, I, I. I am very confident I'm going to win this question. Go ahead, though. Uh, so, so are you going higher or lower? I'm going lower. Okay, I was sure. assuming, but I just want to make sure. Uh, <laughs> that is correct. It is lower, but it's not that much lower. It was fifteen in one game. He had ten oh. steals and five blocks. Can can we name that game? I'm, I'm uh, it was a twenty seventeen game against Memphis, I believe. You know what I do? It's funny. I remember that it was because he got a triple double because of the steals. Because uh, of the or, steals. It, it, it actually might have been fine. I can't remember if he got a triple-double because of the steals, or I think he got a double-double with no 10 points. Like, it would have been a triple-double. Oh, right. Yeah. It was one of those, but <laughs> I remember it. Uh, he was, like, ripping Marcus Ole at the top of the key. Um, yeah. The other Draymond sat, he one time had 17 block shots in a four-game sweep of the Blazers. That was one of the most oh, insane wow. defensive oh, wow. series yeah, I've wild. ever seen. Yeah. Uh, Andrew, one... Go ahead. Go ahead. Just, Andrew, you're down uh, two points already, but you do have control <laughs> of the board. Okay, number one. Question number one. Steph Curry had his second 50-point game this week. There are three players in the NBA who have had more 50-point games than Steph this season. Name all three. You do get one point per correct answer. So these are players that are not Steph Curry who had more than two 50-point games this season. More than two 50-point games this season. And there Giannis? are three players. Giannis is one of them for one point. Oh, boy. Uh, Dame? Damian Lillard is also correct for a second point. Can you get the final name, Andrew? More than two 50-point games this season. Tatum? Jason Tatum is incorrect, uh, Andrew. Yes. Anthony, you have a chance to steal for one point. I'm debating against name. with two people, but I'm going to go Joel Embiid. Mm, what was the other name you were thinking? Donovan Mitchell. Both incorrect. The correct answer was Luka Doncic. Luka, oh, yeah. That just felt too easy. I just felt like maybe not it. <laughs> All right, we have a tie up. game, and Anthony, you have control of the board. Three. Question number three. On NBA.com slash stats, you can find how many miles a player has run this season. Who has run the most miles on the Warriors this season? And this is like total, not per game. That's, yes, this you know. is total, total miles run. 
Jordan Poole. That is correct for two mm. points. Played yep. every game, which is important. That's why yes, I asked yes, if it's yes. per game. And they, he's like, even though he may not hit the shots that Steph hits, he tries to scatter around the court <laughs> like he's Steph Curry. Yeah. So. <laughs> I thought that was a question where if you really thought about it, it ends up, ends up being pretty easy. But yeah. you have to know that who played the most games. Okay, Andrew, uh, down 4-2. You've gotten all the points, <sighs> though. Okay, number two. Question number two. The Warriors have three players averaging at least 20 points per game, Steph Clay and Jordan Poole. There are only two other teams in the Western Conference with three players who have averaged 20 points per game this season. Who are those teams? And you get one point per correct answer. So we're three only talking about the West. With 20 points or more. Three players averaging 20 points or more in the Western Conference. Okay. So it's already narrowed down to 14 teams, Andrew. It's pretty easy. Yeah, is there is there like a games played element to this at all? Uh, there's not. There's not at all. Okay. Oh boy, who would that be? I don't think this team. No. Um. Hmm. Hmm. Any guesses, Andrew? Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna have some guesses. You're gonna have multiple guesses. Okay. <laughs> gonna try to narrow this down what about the grizzlies memphis grizzlies that is incorrect andrew anthony you have a chance to steal two points all right can you give me the question again yes so we're talking about teams in the western conference who have at least three players averaging 20 20. points per game or more three current western conference teams um uh well one of them is uh, three current one's the warriors Warriors, two two more um two the, the oh, that went not twenty. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I have a better guess. Can, I feel hopefully, like you I have guys a can guess. edit out some of this, like you know, oh, white yeah. noise. <laughs> um, I will go with. God, oh, they wouldn't. How about, I'll go with the Nuggets. I mean, okay. I, I figure you don't sound super confident. I am not confident. Okay. Well, you shouldn't have been because it's incorrect. The yeah. two names. What Andrew, about the Blazers? Blazers. The Blazers are one. Dang Dame, it. Anthony Simons, and Jeremy Grant. Yeah. Mm. And then the New Orleans Pelicans. He's been out for a while, but Zion, uh, Brandon Ingram, and CJ. See, that's what I was game. thinking. I was like, that's when I asked the games played element. I should have just I know. Said when it. you said that, I thought, oh, he must be on the I should have just said it. All right, so Andrew, dumb. you're still down 4 2. Anthony, you have control of the board. Four. Question number four. In the era of load management, it's increasingly rare for a player to play all 82 games in an NBA season. Which player on the Warriors roster has had the most perfect attendance seasons in their career where they played all 82 games? You would think maybe because he's doing it currently, it would be Kevon Looney, but then you'd actually think about Kevon Looney's injury history and know that it isn't. Um, It's actually, I believe, the guy who is not currently with the team. Uh, Andrew Wiggins, who I believe went 82-81, 82-82, his first four seasons in the league. Uh, that may be correct, what you just said, but it's incorrect for this answer. Clay Thompson? Is it, it's Clay Thompson. Andrew? It's Clay, it's Clay Thompson? To Andrew, that's also incorrect. Oh, dang it. <laughs> it is Andre Iguodala, who did it well, four wow, times that, in his career. Oh, okay. How many? The Sixers. Yes, four times. Yeah, so Wiggins may have four done times. it three times. So, yeah, I guess um, we can say it three times. Okay, Andrew, 
You're still only down by two. You have control of the board. You can tie okay. it up here. Number I five. just kind of thought Andre, Andre Iguodala was a coach. I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> Did you say five, Andrew? Yes. Okay. Uh, Steph Curry has hit at least one three-pointer in 233 consecutive games. The second longest active streak in the NBA is 75 consecutive games with at least one three-pointer. Who holds the second longest active streak? 75 games with at least one three-pointer. That is correct. There's some obvious candidates in my mm. brain. but Okay. They, and they played like they haven't missed time. Does it count like missed time? Uh, no, they, it like, doesn't count missed time. It's games. just the games okay. that you have played in, you have hit at least one three. Okay. Hmm. It's a big question, Andrew. You can tie it up it here. It's a big one. I feel like with two that answer is probably too obvious. Ooh, what, about Paul last time? what about Paul George? Paul George, interesting. Uh, that yeah, is incorrect, right. Andrew. When he but says interesting, interesting, that means you got it wrong. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it sounds good, but it's Sound not good. I'll uh, just go. Yeah. With Li- I'll, I'll just go with Lillard. Yes, Damian Lillard. Correct. Dang it! This just point. felt too obvious. I just you don't ever go that obvious. <laughs> I'm messing with you now. I've had like You're multiple. Totally kind messing of with my brain now. <laughs> he was like, "I'm going with Malik Beasley." Let's really. Yeah. Go. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was trying to think of something a little off the wall, but. Ugh. Oh, now I'm torturing you. Now you won't know in future weeks whether I'm being. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, Anthony, you have control of the board. You have a three-point lead. Six. Number six. Who leads the Warriors in total steals this season? Total steals. Total steals. Oh, that's kind of a tough question. Yeah, no, it is. Um, I think this is going to be a weird answer. You know, I I would lean pool if pool hadn't already been the answer to one of your questions. So I'm going to go with Kavon Looney. Kavon Looney. Does he lead the Warriors in total steals this season? He does not. Mm. Sorry. Is it pool? Um, well, I got to give Andrew a chance to guess. Oh, geez, will, he, I, I, will he steal your answer up. again? Although it didn't help him last time. <laughs> it did not help me last time. I feel or like will he come up with his own answer. I still feel like this is going to be off the wall, even though the last question was not off the wall. Andrew, I've got um, you. I've got you. I got your brain scrambled right now. <laughs> completely scrambled. What about DiVincenzo? It's a good answer. Andrew, that is absolutely correct for one point, which brings us to our final question. Now, if Andrew gets this right, it will tie mm. the game up at 5-5 five, five all. And for the third week in a row, we would have to go to a sudden death question. Ooh. Okay. So, Andrew, you get first stab at this question, although it's a back-and-forth question, which is great for me. Steph oh Curry is having one of the best seasons of his career. Did you know Steph is averaging a career-high 6.2 rebounds per game? If I told you that in the last 25 years, Steph has the second most rebounds of any Warriors player, could you name the other nine players in the top ten? Now, before you answer, Andrew, and we're going to go back and forth, so Andrew will give me a name. Then Anthony will give Wait, me a name. Say, I want to make say clear, this again. I want to make it clear that this is just in the last 25 years of Warriors history who has collected the most rebounds. The reason I didn't do the entire Warriors history is because it's just not a very uh, fun list. You would never guess uh, Joe Grabowski, okay, a.k.a. Grabo. That was his nickname. He was born <laughs> in 1930. He's on the top 10 list. No Will Chamberlain then. 
Yeah, no Will Chamberlain. I wanted to keep it to, to names that are fresh in your brain. So this is just the last 25 years. I already told you Steph is uh, number two. So you're going to give me the other nine names on that list. Most rebounds. Most total rebounds. Uh, this is me. Sorry. No, this is you. <laughs> okay. Uh, what about David Lee? David Lee, number four on the list. Okay. Over Draymond. Draymond is number one. Back to uh, Clay Thompson. Clay Ooh. Thompson, number nine on oh, the list. Wow. Ooh, that was risky. He's, of, he's like a horrible <laughs> rebounder for his position. But he's I just guess been around so, so long. He's just shoveling like two in the in the coffin <laughs> at a time. <laughs> uh, um, he's just been around for forever. Yeah, I mean, look, you you, you squeaked by at nine. Um, Andrew Bogut. Andrew Bogut is not on the list in the last 25 years. Yes. The other names, Andres Biedrens. Ah, I was going to save Dampier for later. Adonal Foyle. Adonal Foyle. Adonal Foyle. Uh, Troy Murphy, one of my favorite fantasy Oh, guys. Murph. Murph dog. Uh, Eric Dampier, Antoine Jameson, and Kavon Looney coming in at number 10. Now, wow. that means that we have reached... I feel moment. like if we added playoffs, Bogut is is squeaking by, you know, some of those names. <laughs> uh, that is entirely possible. Um, I guess I didn't say regular season or playoffs, uh, but can't help you there. We are in sudden death. Sudden oh, death? Boy. I propose sudden death should be a Kevin Durant era thunder question, personally. Oh. I don't know if you already have sudden death. Kevin Durant era thunder question. Okay, I, I can do that. Uh, let me go to Kevin Durant now. Wow. The, uh, I like. It doesn't this. have to be about like Durant. It just has to be about that era. That era. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and for people who don't know, Anthony uh, used to live in Oklahoma City, covering the team. It's true. T- until you left us. Until yeah. You know. <laughs> summer 2016. The, summer 2016. Some, some other notable people left it. Uh, Slater yeah, was actually. You you attended our down to dunk our first live down to dunk show. You uh, I think you walked down from your apartment like right before. Yeah, you I looked left. at level. I don't I don't know if level's still yeah active down there. But um, okay, we're going to try to name um, all the players who were on the roster for the Thunder team that made the finals against the Heat. Okay, so this was in okay. 2011, 2012. We'll okay. go back and forth. Um, there are 16 guys on the roster who played at least one game for the Thunder that season. I'm guessing you're going to get like 14 of these 16, and then we'll get to the hard ones. So we'll start okay. with Anthony. Uh, in fact, why don't I just name off? Let's let's leave aside KD, Russ, Harden, and Ibaka. Okay, they're off the board. It's easy, obvious. Speed up the process. Okay. Okay. So Anthony, 2011-2012, Oklahoma City Thunder. Kendrick Perkins. Correct. Andrew. Tavo. Correct. Anthony. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to do some bogut mistake coming up here at some point, but I'm going to go with Eric Maynard. That is correct. Oh, uh, yeah. Andrew. Uh, Nick Collison, Mr. Thunder. That is correct. Back to Anthony. You guys are rattling these off. I believe that was, God, I'm going to make this mistake, but I believe that was Reggie Jackson's rookie season. So I'm going to go with Reggie Jackson. That is correct, Anthony. Okay, good. Back to uh, Andrew. Derek Fisher. Yes. Ooh, that was my next one. Derek Fisher. Back to Anthony. 
we have uh we're already down to six names six names left yeah no this is where i'm like i'm gonna make a mistake here um that's a mistake i'm already <laughs> thinking about a name i'm gonna say that he would have been off the team by then uh nazi muhammad nazi muhammad current gm of the thunder uh g league team that is correct. Yes, Nazi Muhammad was, was on that roster. Andrew, five names left. Daquan Cook. All the way. Daquan mm. Cook is correct. That was the last of like the rotation players. Yeah. Uh, we have four names left. <laughs> How many of them would you think I should get? Um, I'd say you have a decent shot at two of them. That doesn't sound good. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I mean, you were here. Yeah, no, I was physically. Man, that feels like generations ago. Um, I'm gonna go with Nanad Kristich, although I bet he was gone. Nanad Kristich, aka Crispy, was he still on the Thunder in 2011-2012? He was not, which means Andrew wins the week. Although, actually, before the, before Andrew in the wins perk the trade. Week, that's correct. Yeah. Andrew, you have to at least give me one more name to get the points. Oh, yeah. Cole Aldrich, Royal Ivy. Wow. Whoa. Okay, that was two. Can you name the final two? There's two more. Oh, gosh. He deserves the win. <laughs> he deserves the runaway win if he gets these next I two. think Lazar Hayward was still on this team oh, because I think he was correct, in the Harden Andrew. trade. Yeah. Can you get the final name? The 2011. He played five games. I Shot eighty percent from the field. Why did they not play this wow. guy more? Wow, I don't, I don't know the last one. Uh, that would be Ryan Reed. Oh, Ryan Reed. I think Ryan, Ryan Reed was at the uh, the Thunder. What was it Legacy the Night? The Thunder Legends Night. Legacy oh, Night. He was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I should have got Cole Aldridge. I remember when he was supposed to be like a part of the future. He was. He was, oh, a, yeah. he was the yeah. first in line of Mitch. Like he he walked so Mitch McGarry could, yeah, I guess, crawl. Mitch McGarry was could. Also supposed to be part of the future. Mitch, crawl with so Mitch snakes. McGarry could trip over his own yeah. feet. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, Slater, thanks for coming on the show. Go listen to Tampering. It's on Tuesdays here on the Athletic NBA Show. Also, Warriors Plus Minus, which is a great Warriors podcast, the best Warriors podcast. You should go listen to that. Slater, thanks for coming on, man. All right, fellas. All right, Andrew, that was Warriors Week. It is time. We're, we're getting to the end of the season, Andrew. Only have a few Ooh. more weeks left of the Wheel of Fandom, and we still have 13 names to go. And there's a lot of names here, some that I would love to watch, some that I would not. Uh, so let's spin the wheel, see what we get this week on the Wheel of Fandom. Our team will be... Oh, <laughs> the Boston Celtics. If you're not watching on YouTube, the very next team was the San Antonio Spurs, and it was so close to being the Spurs. <laughs> We're on, like, the line there. Yes. We do not want that to we happen. We will take the Celtics. Great. Yes, yes. Wonderful. Boston, hey, they need a turner. Maybe the wheel will have a uh, opposite effect that it had on, like, the, the Grizzlies. Yeah, you know. true. Because it usually doesn't like little, good teams, but maybe uh, that will yeah. be changed. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, let's let's go to our five-star reviews, Al. If you leave us a five-star review, we will read it on the podcast, just like this one, which is kind of a uh, a little course correction for our guy, mm. JJ Money 830 Oh, the seventh grader. He's back. 
exceptional slash five stars, he writes. He says, I'm only a seventh grader, but you make my Saturdays a whole lot more fun. My only suggestion is you keep doing what you do to make the world a better place. Thank you. Lastly, sorry, I am trying to make it so that you guys aren't a one-star show, which you aren't. And he gave us five stars. So, so, so thanks so you, much for that. Can you edit your own reviews or do you just have to do another review? I believe you can edit your oh, review. Because okay. I want to make sure, because yes. combined, that would be two and a half stars, you know, if yeah. it accepts both. Yeah, I do not see. Yeah, they're not both on here. So. Okay. Wow. Thank was, you so much. So we actually directly impacted our own ratings by having That's right. <laughs> JJ Money go back and change his rating. <laughs> Threatening him. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, JJ Money830, for that review. I hope you guys enjoy your weekend and the basketball. We will talk to you guys again next week.